minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. What is up, Green Bay Packers fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Morley. Um, I am not joined today by my typical co-host, Ross Uglum. As you guys know, um, Ross just had a little baby, or his wife did, and he is doing some dad duty uh, tonight. Uh, because those of you and my co-host tonight could could attest to this, sometimes babies do their own things. But um, this is actually two days in a row uh, that you're going to get Mr. Jacob Westendorf and myself um, doing a Pack-A-Day podcast. Uh, so welcome back. This is us again. And Jacob, before we get started, let's kind of, uh, we, t- we talked to, to Jay Sternberger yesterday, which was awesome. Um, let's kind of break that down a little bit. What was that experience like for you? It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I have a, I don't have a ton of experience talking about or talking to NFL players. So uh, it was nice to just kind of get to know him a little bit, what he's like outside of football, what his rookie season was like. I really enjoyed his commentary on where he wants to play inside the offense, outside the offense, or on the inside and outside of the offense, I should say, in the backfield, just the versatility that he has and the ability that he has to do some things like that. I just listened back to it a little bit ago, and I'm excited for him. It was cool to learn that he was a bit of a trash talker too, maybe not quite in the same realm as Jair Alexander, but I'm excited for him. Uh, He's tight end one, and I am all in. And for those of you that were watching the Bleacher Report uh, goat simulation thing that they were doing. For those that aren't uh, familiar, real quick, I'll give you a rundown. Is they basically took the the best players for each team at their positions. You voted for like tiebreakers. So Twitter voted between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, for example. Brett Favre won out. Jay Sternberger caught the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Patriots in overtime. So that was pretty cool to see as well. So Jace is having a good couple days, I guess, between talking to us idiots and scoring a touchdown in a video game. I think he's doing pretty good. Yeah, and I think uh, the the biggest takeaway I had from that from talking to him was one uh, strictly football. Him talking about how within Matt Lafleur's offense, like there's no limits. Like if you can do this, they're going to let you do it. And he kind of alluded to if you see a receiver or a tight end not doing something, it's because they can't do it and they don't trust you to do it, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, I thought that was kind of funny. And then I also thought it was really funny when he talked about kind of like almost like the freshman 15 <laughs> he had put on um, his his rookie year at camp because the Packers wanted him to kind of pack on some weight. Uh, so he him talking about signing, you know, rookie cards and stuff for kids and just looking at the picture and being like, oh, gosh, which is is so relatable. Like, I, I love talking to some of these guys about stuff like that, because how many of us have looked at a picture and just kind of been like, Oh, <laughs> so that was that was funny to me. Um, but today we're going to kind of switch gears. We're going to talk about the upcoming NFL draft and, uh, you know, keep talking about it because that's kind of what we've been doing here at Pack a Day. But uh, something that we're going to focus on specifically today is I have a list of six guys. And one thing, if we know anything about Brian Gutenkist, is that he loves his athletes. And for better or worse, he is typically going to take these home run swing for the fences shots on an athlete, which makes a lot of sense when you're talking about the NFL draft. A lot of it is film work, um, but a lot of it is betting on athletes and betting on these guys um, that have a higher relative athletic score than other guys. And before we talk about any of this, 
Um, I'm going to be referring to RAS a lot today. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it is basically, it stands for relative athletic score, relative athletic score. And it is basically just a history of prospects and how they stack up to that. And if you're familiar with percentiles, that's all it is. So um, if I ran my 40 yard dash, I would be in the first percentile really bad. It would be really slow, <laughs> but these guys are all, uh, I think the lowest guy we have on here is 8.6. So 86 percentile as far as a relative athlete. Um, but I'm going to focus on three positions specifically that I think the Packers really care about relative athletic scores. Um, and we're going to start with running back and uh, running back is interesting because you look at a guy like Aaron Jones, he has a very good RAS Jamal Williams, does not. His is very average, but Dexter Williams again last year had a very good RAS score. So there's two guys on this list that um, not only are they really good fits because of their athletic profile, they're really good fits because if you watch them, they're both guys that would really uh, benefit um, from being in like an outside zone scheme like the Packers run. And the first guy I'm going to bring up is Darrington Evans. Uh, he is a running back out of Appalachian State. Um, I think he really turned some heads at the NFL Combine when he ran a 4-4-1, which was, I believe, the second fastest among running, r- amongst running backs. Um, and then when you watch him, it's very evident on the field. He thrives on outside runs where he can utilize his speed to beat angles, you know, get into the open space. Um, but then between tackles, he actually was more productive between, the, between tackles. Um, and for a guy like him, that's kind of eye-popping because he had – so many big plays. Um, I mean, he was the Sun Belt, I believe, player of the year last year, which is um, at any level is pretty cool. Um, he wants to be north and south, but he's kind of has these subtle, subtle adjustments and stuff in his game. I think he's got some ability in the passing game. Um, and you look at him in that outside zone, he is the type of guy that can very much get to the outside, but then strengthens things back up the middle. So I think Darrington Evans uh, when you're looking for a guy that potentially could replace Aaron Jones in two years if they do not give him a contract, he is that kind of day two, day three type running back that I think would fit really well in the Packers scheme. Jacob, what do you think about uh, Mr. Darrington Evans? Yeah, you mentioned the outside zone stuff, and those are the first things that I try to notice because it really is hard to adjust from. Now, granted, not a lot of teams in college football, especially high-level college football, aren't running some version of his own blocking scheme, but it is a difficult thing to learn. It requires vision. Uh, it requires that one foot in the ground and go ability, something that we saw pretty well out of Dexter Williams last year. He just couldn't find his way on the field for a lot of various reasons. And I think that something that I would like to get into the head of the Packers front office, because quite honestly, I can't remember the last time they had two explosive players in their backfield. You know, the recent, running tandem before now it's obviously Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams with all due respect to Jamal Williams, not an explosive player, more of a grinder type and old school back. And before that it was Eddie Lacey and James Starks and Starks was a little bit more of a slasher. He was probably your quote unquote explosive back in that time frame, but Eddie Lacey, nobody's going to mistake him for, for a burner. So I think that Evans would add something like that to the Packers room that they just haven't had. Uh, with all due respect to Tyler Irvin, you're talking about somebody that was claimed off of waivers. He's certainly an upgradable piece. I mean that as far as a running back and in the return game. Now, he's certainly a useful piece as well if that's deemed uh, something that he's earned. But I think with Evans, 
he gives you somebody that's a little bit more natural as a runner. He has that natural ability in that outside zone scheme. And you mentioned his speed. I can't remember the last time the Packers had somebody that fast in their backfield. And I, I would like to see, especially with this offense, you see Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, and they have three guys in their backfield that run four five or less in the backfield. And they just interchange them all the time. Uh, Aaron Jones, you mentioned the possibility of him not being around after the 2020 season. And I think that's a very real possibility, especially we got news today of Christian McCaffrey's new contract being $16 million a year. That's a lot of money. And I can't picture the Packers just deciding that that, if that's market value and what Jones can command, I can't imagine that's something they're going to pay. So I'll be interested to see how they do with those things. But I think the Packers definitely need to be looking at a running back in the first five rounds or so, because not only do they need somebody, I think, as a as a third guy, like Matt LaFleur talked about at the Combine, but somebody that could potentially at minimum step in and replace one of Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones, but two, possibly become the starter as well. Remember, in 2016, the Packers drafted three running backs after Eddie Lacy left and Ty Montgomery was slated to become the starter. That's how they, quote unquote, fixed their problem. They took three shots, one of them. Well, two of them really panned out. One of them is a potential star in Aaron Jones. So I'll be interested to see what they do, but Evans would be, he's kind of become a darling on the the old Twitter timeline. And I'll be interested to see what they do because I like him quite a bit. And I think that, like you mentioned, he has the ability to become a starter uh, and give the Packers at minimum just an explosive threat and become somebody that develops in their passing game as well. Yeah, 100%. And people talk about, well, and people are going to say if someone like Abington or, or uh, Darrington ended up in Green Bay, people would say, well, they have Irving. And it's like, well, you know, he kind of like you hit on. He is what he is, and he's a useful piece, but he's never going to be your starting running back. Um, Darrington Evans has that potential. He's got the – I believe he's a 9.57 RAS type athlete, so 95th percentile type athlete. Another 95th percentile type athlete at the running back position – um, this is someone that I really, really like. Um, and that's Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. I think he's going to go a little bit later than Evans will. Um, but you talk about a guy that has the potential to just kind of do everything well. And then he's also got the big play potential as well. But I really think Kelly is a, is a three-down back. You can play him on third downs. Um, at UCLA, one question that I had with him is, he looks like he's got some juice in the passing game, um, but he didn't get to show it off a ton. And then he came to the Senior Bowl this last year, and he looked really, really good in Mobile. Um, I mean, he's breaking down linebackers and safeties and catching you know, the ball outside his frame with just like these natural hands. Um, and then you even see that on tape in the limited amount of time that he has. Um, and I think he actually has a pretty good mind for the game as well. Um, you look at him on third downs. He's the type of guy that I think he's willing to stick his nose in there. He's willing and he's able to recognize um, where the blitz is coming from, too. So I think he's going to be a guy that can play all three downs. And you look for a guy um, that could potentially be that bell cow type guy. I think Joshua Kelly is that um, in the Arrowhead Pride draft guide. My buddy Ken Swanson actually wrote him up and I'm, I'm looking through his his write up right now. And this is a non Packer fan writing this up and the guy that he wanted to compare him to is Aaron Jones himself. Um, and I, I, I kind of, I get that because Jones too was another guy that's like, you know what, coming out of 
uh, UTEP. We liked his pass, his pass catching ability, um, but we thought it could get better. And then that's kind of where you're at with Josh Kelly. And I think he can be a guy that, you know, in two to three years from now, he can absolutely be that fifth round type value that turns into like an Aaron Jones or a Marlin back, that type of guy. Yeah, I think that you're looking at, again, another potential. He's probably best suited as a running back, too, uh, in at the next level, but there is some potential there. You mentioned his ability in the passing game. That's interesting, too, because it's something he'll have to get better at initially. And as you've seen, we've seen it in the last year that this offense is different. You know, the running backs, you're part of the passing game. You're not a glorified offensive tackle the way that you were a lot of times in Mike McCarthy's offense. So, I'll be interested to see where it is Josh Kelly goes. I know a lot of people really like him uh, again, and he kind of fits in that sweet spot. You know, we've talked about the Packers needing a running back, and here's a few things that I think are just simple realities. Unless these guys are there at pick 62, which would just be an absolute value smack, in my opinion, at least, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, and Jonathan Taylor are not going to be Green Bay Packers. Uh, those are the top three consensus running backs in this class. And I think all three of them are really good players. It's just not a position the Packers have invested in, at least in my opinion, rightfully so. Uh, Aaron Jones is a shining example for that reason as to why you kind of look a little bit later. You can find running backs later in in the draft. And Kelly could be one of those guys potentially as well. So I think he would be a nice pairing if they kept Jones around. Uh, if they don't keep Jones around, then they might have to do one of those things where they draft backs in back-to-back years. I kind of think it's good practice to draft a young runner every year in the later rounds anyways, just kind of keep that stable going through so you don't end up uh, with the situation the Packers had last year where they're pulling Trey Carson off the practice squad. With all due respect to Trey Carson, uh, I made this joke earlier about some of the Packers' offensive linemen. If this were baseball, uh, Trey Carson is the R in war. He's a replacement-level talent. Kelly's more than that. And I think that the more explosive players, the more good players that you have in your offense, duh, obviously it makes your offense a little bit better. So uh, he's somebody that could kind of redshirt, I guess, as a third back in his first year, uh, but eventually step into a bigger role. And especially with uh, the lack of mental lapses, it's not hard to envision somebody the Packers draft beating out Dexter Williams in training camp, assuming that there is one. Yeah, I think uh, Coach LaFleur made it pretty clear at least last year, what he thought about uh, Dexter Williams and his preparation um, in practice. Uh, but moving right along, we're going to move to wide receiver. This is absolutely a position that the Packers value relative athletic score. Pretty much everyone on their team, not named Devontae Adams, which surprisingly enough, he's their best receiver, um, has a is, is a freak show athlete. So um, two guys that I just think really look like Green Bay Packers as well. Um, one of them is is a guy that I'm going to have to admit, I really feel like I was way too low on him. I may have said some mean things about him, and I was wrong. And that is Brandon Ayuk. And that is a guy that this last week, um, I was lucky enough to get his All-22 film from 2019. And one thing about the wide receiver position and grading it from just the broadcast is a lot of times you get to see two things. You get to see the release And then you get to see basically them at the catch point. And like, that's valuable stuff. That's stuff that you need to be able to see and receivers need to be able to do. Um, But you don't get to see all the little intricacies within their game. 
And one like shining example with Brandon Ayuk is I think I even tweeted it out is there his he's in the slot and this poor linebacker is trying to guard him. And this man, I mean, he he gives a pressure step to the outside, turns his shoulders almost parallel with the sidelines and in a split second snaps his hip and body back to the inside and creates separation that way. And that is just so rare to be able to see a guy with that type of uh, hip flexibility and, and nuance in his routes. And that was just something that I just did not see at all on, on the broadcast. And then I just, the, I always liked the explosion and the ability that he had with the ball in his hands. Like that is, that's undeniable. He's very good in that area. Um, but I just, I watching his all 22 just gave me confidence that he might actually be more pro ready than I thought he would have than than I thought he was. And so Brandon Ayuk is a name that we hear a lot for the Packers at 30. I used to roll my eyes at it, but I'm really kind of starting to warm up to that idea at, at 30. Um, and if he's there at the end of round two, you run, you sprint that pick up there. But, uh, Brandon Ayuk is a guy that I very much could see in green and gold. When you talk about, you know, the way the Packers want to run their offense, they want to get those guys on those, you know, those jet action to get the linebackers kind of take those cheat steps up. Brandon Ayuk is absolutely a guy that can do that Um, in green and gold. He would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. Uh, The consensus top three receivers in this year's draft are the two Alabama kids and CeeDee Lamb. After that, I have Justin Jefferson ranked fourth. That seems to be pretty well in line with what the consensus is as well. My wide receiver five is Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I've been on the train for quite some time. He's kind of fluctuated a little bit between five and seven, uh, but he's firmly entrenched at that number five spot right now. And that's something that won't change between now and the draft, barring a catastrophic injury, knock on wood or something like that. But his ability to make plays after the catch is something that the Packers have not had since prime Randall Cobb. Um, I mean, I don't, I remember maybe Greg Jennings. I mean, there's Donald driver players like that. I mean, I'm, I don't think they have honestly, like they, when you like even Cobb didn't have the type of like just bulldog mentality that IU cast. No. And that's an element. This offense has been missing. And I think that when you don't have the ability, which the Packers currently don't to take the top off the defense and get those easy quote unquote, 50 yard touchdowns, then you need guys that can turn a four yard gain. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to this next guy too, but it's hidden yardage like that. I think that can be the difference between wins and losses. It's something I really liked about Debo Samuel Last year, that showed up this year, as we know all too well, with the 49ers. Can you turn a four-yard gain into a seven-yard gain? Can you turn a four-yard gain into a nine-yard gain? Can you turn a nine-yard gain into a 49-yard gain? That's a luxury the Packers just simply haven't had. With with all due respect to the receivers they had last year, they're professional athletes. But with guys like Alan Lazard and Geronimo Allison and Jake Kumaro and these Jags, for lack of a better term, when they catch the ball, that's where they're down. And Devontae Adams has that ability to some degree, but he's probably making one guy miss and turning it into you know a 25-yard gain, whereas Ayuk can turn it into a 55-yard touchdown. And I think that that's something that this Packers team has been missing for quite some time. Initially, I thought this was going to be a chance for Green Bay to get a steal at 62, but right now, yeah, it does look like either in a trade back, a few slots scenario, or 
picking him right away, stick and pick at 30, which I would be a proponent of personally, that's where they're going to have to pick him. Cause I don't think you're getting him at 62. I don't either. And speaking of guys like that with this, what within this wide receiver position, um, our buddy Andy Herman is actually writing an article tomorrow and he reached out to all of us and said, you know, what is, what is your best case scenario for the Packers at 30? And I think for a lot of Packers fans and a lot of people on Packers Twitter, the ideal guy for the Packers at 30 is Justin Jefferson, right? Like that's, that's who everybody likes. That's who everybody wants. And I, I get that. That was my very first clear cut. Number one slam dunk guy, like Justin Jefferson, but that's not who we're talking about. When I look at that through the lens of who could come in their rookie year and and be a contributor right away, who can make this team, this 2020 team, better? Who can make it uh, take this offense to new heights? Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy that just keeps popping into my mind. He is um, a, a nine-plus RAS athlete at 6'5", 220-plus. The, the man moves like a much smaller guy. Uh, he There's not really a route that he can't run. He is very much ready to come into the NFL and play today. And that's maybe a name that a lot of Packers fans think, you know, at at 30, that's too soon. And and, and maybe, maybe it is a little bit too soon, but I don't think he's going to be there in the second round. Um, and when I look at it through that, that lens of, who can come in right now, be a, be a contributor, be a wide receiver too. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is one of the rare guys at receiver that's going to be able to come in and be a very good player his rookie year. Yeah, I did a profile on him for Packer Report not that long ago, and I said he's the most Green Bay Packer that's ever Green Bay Packered. Uh, I think that that's yeah. – he's a tall, long athlete. Brian Gutekunst has said flat out those are the players that he likes. He likes tall, long athletes. He's a deep threat. He has the ability to play on the boundary. His strong hands can go up and get it. The first thing I noticed about him was his ability to play the ball in the air. And that's something that I don't think the Packers have a whole lot of, just the awareness of where that ball is, where Rodgers is going to put it, and the adjustments to track those things. I remember a Monday night game against the 49ers where Equinemy is St. Brown, and that's when I kind of thought this kid might be a player because he caught one of those back shoulder fades from Rodgers on the last drive of the game to set up the game winning, help set up the game winning field goal. Outside of that, the Packers, again, outside of Devontae Adams, haven't had a lot of players that can do those kinds of things. The th- Here's the reality of playing football with Aaron Rodgers is yes, you draw things up on the blackboard and they look great there. Uh, Rodgers is going to create plays and you're going to have to do some things on second reactions. And he's going to give his receivers a chance to make some plays. They just haven't had a lot of dudes that can make those plays. In years past, they did. James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb. I've mentioned, I think, every good receiver that Rodgers has ever played with. So there you go. Now they don't have guys like that to make those plays. So Pittman is somebody, you mentioned him, I would be more comfortable with him in the second round. But there seems to be a lot of buzz that this guy is going to be a top 50 player. And again, would you rather have Michael Pittman Jr. at 30? Granted, now granted, this is how does the board fall, but would you rather have Michael Pittman Jr. on your team and pick him at 30 or pass on him and then end up having to pick a receiver that you don't like as much a little bit later, someone like LaVisca Chenault who may not be healthy, someone like Brian Edwards or Chase Claypool or you know whoever it is. I In this scenario with those names I just mentioned specifically, I'd rather have Michael Pittman at 30. I think we get caught up a lot on 
where someone was picked and what the value is and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that to some degree, but at the end of the day, the 30th pick is three picks away from being a second round pick. Are we really going to get that bent out of shape that green Bay picked a quote unquote second round player three picks before the second round? I don't think so. No, I don't either. And I think Packers fans would get over it really quickly once they start seeing this guy and what he's going to be able to do and how he's going to be able to help, uh, Rodgers right away because the thing about rookie receivers is they typically take a couple of years um so I and I think looking at it through the lens of guys that like I said can come in right away and play I think Pittman Jr. is in that in that realm and you know he's got he's got the uh the the bloodlines too his father was an NFL player which is something I really like uh but moving on to the defensive side of the ball a position that the Packers really care about athleticism, they really care about thresholds, is the cornerback position. And this is kind of a sneaky need when you when you look at it. Because outside of Jair, who can you point to and say, well, that guy is someone that I want in my secondary for the next two to three years? Uh, Kevin King is knocking on that door. I get that. Um, but he's in a contract year. If he plays really well, he might price himself out in Green Bay. And then if he doesn't play well, the Packers seem probably don't want, want him back. Um, so it, it's an interesting position. So I'm going to look at an early round guy and a late round guy. But the first guy that really stands out to me as kind of a fit in the late first round, and he might not even be there, is A.J. Terrell from uh, Clemson. And he is the type of guy that I think he's got a lot of experience playing in man and zone. Um, I think his, his shuffle is proficient. His, uh, his press technique is actually pretty decent. Uh, what I really like about him is he's a Brent Venerables guy. So he is, uh, he's got that kind of that alpha dog mentality. He's not going to back down from anything. Uh, he's, a, he's got good length on the outside. Uh, he, he leverages the boundary super well. Uh, when you talk about his vertical routes and creating impossible window windows for like quarterbacks to throw the ball into, uh, Terrell does a really good job with that. Um, I think he's a guy that has pretty decent ball skills as well. Um, I think he could be someone to come in and, and play pretty quick for this Packers team. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's got the super high end ceiling that some of these other corners have, but I think he's going to be a really solid corner from day one. Um, and so if you want to talk about like a sneaky type pick at the end of the first round, I think AJ Terrell would be that type of guy. Yeah. I think first and foremost, when discussing cornerbacks, if you're not subscribed to Packer report and we just had this come out today, Mark Eccles scouting series on every position imaginable is good enough reason to do that. So I think that you need to do that. He talked about the corners today with one of those scouts. They rank them one through 10 who's overrated, who's underrated, blah, blah, blah. One of the players mentioned in there is AJ Terrell. And I know a lot of people are really bagging on him for his bad game against LSU, but let me give you guys a newsflash about cornerbacks that played against LSU. All of them played poorly or had bad moments at the very minimum. That offense was historic. They have Jamar Chase is going to be a top 10-ish pick next year. Joe Burrow, number one overall. Justin Jefferson, we've talked about him. They had a really good offensive line. Clyde Edwards, I mean, the list goes on of that offense. For Terrell specifically, I think he touched on it pretty well. And as far as calling it a sneaky need, I know that a lot of people are saying that. I guess that means that it's not in the top three, but it's something that I think for you know, I think that the consensus at this point is that the Packers' top three needs are offensive tackle, wide receiver, and linebacker. And after that, I mean, cornerback, you mentioned it, I think you explained it really well too, is how many corners do you feel good about on this Packers' secondary right now? Jair Alexander, absolutely. 
Kevin King, I think, is not as good as the people that want to defend him because he's not T.J. Watt, and they're annoyed by the T.J. Watt people. He's not as good as those people say he is. He's not as bad as the people that wish he was T.J. Watt say he is either. So he's a starting caliber corner, but you mentioned it. He had five interceptions this last year, and I think that there's a pretty good chance that if he puts up those sexy numbers, Dave Gettleman and Ryan Pace are general managers in the NFL. So those are kinds of guys that will pay for the Dave, Brian Pace just gave Jimmy Graham $16 million because his name is Jimmy Graham. That's really the only reason I can think of for that. So if Kevin King has another year where he has four, five, six, seven interceptions or something like that, and still has some gaffes and gives up some big plays, someone will pay him to be a cornerback. And the other reality is the Packers, when it comes to giving out big contracts, you guys have heard this talking point a million times by now, I'm sure. Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari are going to get a truckload of money. And the Packers, yes, before you even argue with me, and there aren't a lot of you, but the fact that there's at least one of you, yes, they need to re-sign both of those players, barring a catastrophic injury. After that, it's a hodgepodge of Corey Lindsley, Aaron Jones, and Kevin King. Where Kevin King falls on that list is up for debate, but I'm going to guess most of you probably think between four and five. So with that in mind, I definitely think cornerback is in play at 30th overall, and at minimum, at least for next season, just for next year, we're talking about the future. Who's the slot corner right now? Shannon Sullivan? Yeah, he had a decent time in Green Bay. Before that, he got cut in Philadelphia, and they have UPS repairmen playing cornerback at some point during those years. So there wasn't a whole lot there. I think that Terrell can be a good piece to add to your secondary. Uh, you're looking for man coverage corners. I don't know that he would be my favorite pick at the end of the first round, but obviously, Jake, you and I have talked about this before. There is a a scenario and a real one where this breaks badly for the Packers in the first round. If their top five offensive tackles, top four receivers, both of the linebackers are gone, now you're kind of looking at some other – other positions and some second tier talent where I know if you're like me and don't want them to pick a quarterback, then picking AJ Terrell is a lot better than taking Jordan love. Yeah. And some, someone else that I really like is Jeff Gladney, but I don't know if he necessarily fits their athletic thresholds. Uh, when you talk about those, uh, man covers corners and Gladney, if you haven't watched Gladney, he's fun. He's, he's got kind of a Jair attitude where he is, going to talk he is going to make plays he's going to get his hands on you he's going to be there the whole game but um just as far as Packers fits that's another guy I really like but again referencing Mark Eccles uh article that he dropped today I'll give you a nugget the most overrated corner in this class that he heard from his uh his sources is uh Jeff Gladney so um that's kind of a reason I kept him out of here is because I don't know if he necessarily is going to be a top 50 pick so um, th- that's an interesting case as well. And the old adage is you can never have enough corners. It's cliche, but it's so true. You, you just really can't. So if, if that's the pick, and like you just said, if they're picking between offensive tackle eight, wide receiver seven, linebacker four, and corner two or three, it's not going to be two, three or four is sitting on the board, go with the best player. Um, so that, that, that'll be an interesting, um, interesting thing that'll, that'll develop for the Packers. And, uh, to, not to get too far off subject, but I just don't know what the Packers are going to do at the end of the first round. Typically, every year, I, I I feel like the last few years at least, I could give you a list of like five guys and be like, one of these five guys is going to be a Packer. Um, the last couple of years, I've done it. And this year, I don't feel confident about that at all. 
if you gave me 15 guys, I probably could hit it, but five, I would not be, not be secure. I, I really wouldn't. Um, but getting off that first round pick there, here's a guy that I think Packers fans need to get familiar with um, because I think he's kind of flying under the radar for a few reasons, but that's Legereus Sneed out of Louisiana tech. He played with the Meek Robertson. Um, he's kind of the other defensive back and, what they did with him, and I think why he's so far under the radar is because Louisiana Tech moved him to safety last year. He played corner in 2018, and let me just give you some of this guy's measurables. He is six foot, 192, kind of skinny, and you can tell on tape he is. That's why he doesn't look good as a safety either, mind you. Like The dude does not really want to hit you, but he will cover you. Uh, decent arm length, uh, his 40-yard dash, 437, vertical, 41 inches, broad jump. 131 like this dude is a freak show athlete and you go back to that 2018 film he's got fluid hips uh he moves well he's got the quick feet i think his route recognition is pretty good he can get grabby when he when at, at, especially at the top of routes but i think he's got like a good physicality to his game i think he's a guy on day three the packers might just want to swing for the fences and take a freak show athlete and legerious sneed is absolutely that guy um, uh, and he played, you know, he, uh, alumni Tremont Williams, Louisiana tech too. So that'd be kind of cool. Um, if he were to come back as well, but Legereus Sneed is a guy that I, I actually really like. Um, he, he, I, I graded him as a safety and I didn't love him as a safety. And so it was, it was kind of gratifying to see that after I watched him, I was like, this guy needs to go back to corner and the NFL um, from the people I have talked to very much are in that corner as well, where this guy will be played as a, as a cornerback in the NFL, not a safety. Which is interesting because you think about it, like what's the more valuable position and playing at Louisiana tech, you'd think their coaching staff would know that if the NFL almost to a consensus, like you're mentioning agrees that he needs to be a cornerback. So I think you're right on the well, money there. Here's the thing, Jacob, they moved the wrong guy to safety because if you watch a meek Robertson, like he is tiny, but he is like a little like spitfire, man. Like he, that is the guy that should have moved to safety. So like it's, it baffles me, but it's also Louisiana tech. So, you know, yeah, I think that, you know, college coaches make mistakes all the time. Um, they do some good stuff. Obviously there's some great coaches out there, but yeah, they make mistakes all the time. I think you hit it on the head though. That's a day three swing. I'm a big proponent, especially on day three to swing for the fences on those things. Those are lottery tickets. Those are players that if they pan out, great. If not, the investment isn't all that much. And you can cut them pretty easy. I mean, six-round picks get cut in their first camp all the time. Last year, and I've often said this, if we got an honest moment out of Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, the sixth-round pick they had last year, Dexter Williams, would have been cut out of camp if Matt LaFleur had his way. So it's not something that's uncommon. And swinging for the fence on those kinds of things, you know, we don't know. Obviously, it's year three, and we've talked about not depending on guys, but – Maybe Marquez Valdez-Scantling pans out. Maybe EQ pans out. Maybe some of those players do. Aaron Jones is one who panned out. There are players like that all over the place, but that's not the norm. So picking and having a chance on a high upside type player that's raw and had some issues with position switches and stuff like that, I'm all for it. You can essentially redshirt him like you did Kadar Holman last year. Let him come in and compete. He has the ball skills and the ability. He had four pick sixes in college. He has a not only does he have ball skills, but he has a nose for the end zone. And that's something that can make a defensive player special. Now I'm not trying to compare the guy to Charles Woodson, for example, but that's something 
that separated Woodson from some of the other defensive backs. Once the ball, once the ball was in his hands, he was trying to score. And a lot of times he did. Now, can he do that? I, I don't know, but as a day three pick, I think that's worth a shot instead of picking a bad punter that people mistakenly call a weapon. We're what, 10 days out. I, I, we're kind of at that point in the season, Jacob, too, where it's like, can the draft just get here already? Because I feel like we're talking about a lot of the same guys. We're talking about a lot of the same things. Uh, and then with the draft being so weird this year without pro days, I feel like we've just been kind of chewing on the same thing for a long, long time. So I am very much ready for the draft to get here. And I'm very much ready for us to start talking about players that are actually going to be wearing the G on their helmet. So um, we're, we're close. We're getting there. We are almost there, but that is all that we have for you guys today. Um, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jacob, for joining me today. Um, and as always, go Pack Go.